Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Find Me in a Book podcast. I'm your host, Tav. And this week, we are going over book two of the Honey and Ice trilogy, which I don't know why until this very point, I realized that it says trilogy, which I did not know that there were three books. And now I guess I am not as mad, which I actually, I still am mad though, because for some reason I thought there were only two books. And so I was expecting like the story to be wrapped up. But then to my surprise, it was like a cliffhanger. And I was like, wait, what? There's another book? So yeah, trilogy means that there's three books. And I guess I just did not see that word. So good news is we're talking about book two. Bad news. (sighs) This is bad news. Because book three doesn't come out until January 22nd, which today is what? November 29th? So we have a couple months and I'm not very happy about it. But I'm very excited for book three to come out. And I'm really excited that it's not like in another year because some of the books that I've been reading, like I have to wait a year for the next book to come out. So it could be worse, but you know, a couple months is still pretty awful. And I I just don't want to wait, but we have to. This book too is called A Throne of Feathers and Bone, and it's by Shannon Mayer and Kelly Sinclair. My sister, of course, read this book before I did. She actually read both books before I even finished the first one. So as for the sister-mother standard, yeah, she loved it. And I think my mom would like it too. But again, it's just, we just have to get her to start liking these types of books, which, uh, most likely won't happen. I am so mad that yes, it does leave on a cliffhanger. So if you haven't read this book yet, are wanting to, then you probably need to stop right here because I am giving away all of the spoilers. But if you're like, I probably won't read it, but I still want to know about it because you listened to last week's episode, then you're in the right place because I'm going to tell you all about it. It is insane. I mean, not insane. It has twists and turns that you never thought would happen. And that's what I love about these types of books is that you just, you can't expect anything. Like expect the unexpected, you could say. And in this book, it proved that to us. This book does contain some swearing like the first book, an occasional F word, some minor swears as well. So it's not too bad. You can easily skip over it. And then as for the spicy scale, Uh, it's not. It's not spicy. There's some sexual tension and some, you know, kiss and they don't make toast, but they, you know, make out and kind of fool around and it doesn't get super descriptive, but there's a couple descriptive sentences that I'm like, well, well, we know exactly what they're about to do. You are easily able to skip over it, but... I mean, this is why we're reading these types of books, because we kind of like those details, you know what I'm saying? So yes, as for spicy scale, there's like nothing much, but what is there just adds to the story and it's really great. So if you want to know all about the second book of the Honey and Ice series, then just keep on listening. (music) 
Okay, let's do a little refresh of what happened at the end of the first book is that she was about to be executed via drowning, but her friend Synth saved her. Like she was outside of like that tank and was like, hold on. And then Folan was able to get her out and her and Folan took off on one of the land Kelpies, which is, it sounds like it's kind of like a horse. And they were fortunately able to cross over into the Unseelie court, which the Kingsguard couldn't follow. It made Allie really nervous. Oh, side note, the more that I've read and read through the second book, I found out that her full first name is Kallik, but she goes by Allie because of how Kallik is spelled. It's like K-A-L-L-I-K. And so her preferred name is Allie, which is in Kallik, but her full name is Kallik. That's where I was confused. I thought that Kallik was her last name, but it is not. I guess they don't really have last names in this like world, but they have like House of Royal, House of No One, or House of, I don't know what she was before, but now she's Kallik, House of Royal. So that was more clarification on that part. They had crossed into the Unseelie Court and that made Allie very like uneasy because she had never really been to the Unseelie Court. Um, there was definitely harsher rules, harsher hearts, uh, harder, colder morals. And you could even tell by like the landscape because remember the Seelie grew things. Like they had basically happy magic and the Unseelie took their energy or their magic from the plants. So it made everything die. And so she asks Folin like, uh, <laughs> why are we in the Unseelie? And so this was the only place that he felt she would be the safest, which is interesting. And along with like Unseelie, she is thinking more about like the differences between the two courts. And, and while the Seelie court is about rank and those who had it, those who didn't, the Unseelie queen and that court, they didn't arrange the subjects like that in tears. It was basically everyone for yourself. And that's what made it so crazy and chaotic and harsh. That's when Kallik or Allie, I'm going to kind of call her both throughout the podcast. And that's when she remembers that he knows who she is. I mean, she, she already knew that basically because he called her your majesty at the end of the book. But she's like, um, how long have you known who I really am? And he reveals to her that he's known since the queen gave him the orders like she told him from the start so that he would understand like the gravity of keeping an eye on her so Allie's pretty upset because she thinks that their whole kind of relationship that they've had or friendship was fake because he was trying to keep her close because he had to keep an eye on her so she's starting to get kind of mad and he's like you know I took this binding oath to obey her because I didn't have a choice. It's like regardless of your own feelings. She gets snarky. I was like, well, you went above and beyond. Like, really, you should be proud of yourself. I'll make sure to give you a five-star review for your acting skills. They're impressive. So she she feels used that the last few weeks of how he's been treating her has just been fake. And just because of who her father was. And by this time, they reach the castle of the Unseelie Queen. And so they enter her home. She seems like a pretty cold person. She also seems very smart. So they were just kind of having a conversation with her. And so Allie asks her, like, am I in trouble? Like, did the Kingsguard cross the river? Like, what 
what's happening. The unseely queen scoffs basically and says, you really think the seely court would risk doing that to us? The death of their king is one thing. Like the queen really thinks that Ali knows who it is, which at this point, we're all thinking that Adair did it, Adair and the brother, because she just wants control. And it seems like she didn't even really care about the king. But I mean, that's hearsay. You know, we don't really know. And even through this book, I'm going to tell you, I'm starting the spoilers right now. We still don't know who killed the king. Like throughout this book, we don't know who did it. We just assume Adair did it. So it's even more threatening. But of course, Fulwin is going to be with her at all times because I just really think that he's in love with her and they just don't want to admit it to each other. And spoiler alert, they kind of admit it to each other by the end of the book which is fine, but it's not as much progress as I want there to be, you know? I'm used to these books that are just like, they're in there, and they're in love, and they just have spicy scenes, and then this one, I'm like, hi, uh, where's the spicy scenes? Can they be in love already? Can they admit that they're in love already? I would really like that, thank you. In these books, it's more kind of the action and storyline, which I'm not mad at, but I just need some more romance. Next up, her and Folin are laying on the bed together and they just start talking about life and everything like that. Then Allie starts asking him more about his home life and his family growing up and straight up asks him like, when did you figure out that you had unseely magic? And he answers basically saying like, hey, my mother hid it for years covering the effects of my magic use. And I basically discovered the truth at 16. So Allie asked like, oh, like she was kind of impressed for a minute. She was like, oh, your mother tried to protect you. And he scoffs and he's like, oh, absolutely not. And then we learn that his mother is kind of a B word. And she basically disowned him after he was sorted into unseely magic. So they just talked some more. And then of course, they're on the same bed. So, I mean, the natural progression of this is to start kissing. And that's what they do as they start kissing and, you know, kind of get hot and heavy. And then they are interrupted by a knock on the door and Fulin gets up to see who it is. And that's when she starts to kind of get, you could say possessed. We find out later that it is possessed. But she has that same madness about her as in the first book when they were making out and their magic was entangling and they get separated and she kills that fae. Like, remember that part? It's kind of that, it's that same feeling where she just doesn't have control of what she's doing. It says the man she just kissed was talking to another, taking clothes from the person. And she is contemplating, like, I can't kill the one that I just kissed, but I would annihilate the creature who just stopped that kiss. Like, I tear that person limb from limb. Basically, this madness is, like, taking over. And that's when Fulin, like, closes the door and he turns to her and he sees that she's, like, like crouched there with weapons. And he's like, Calic? And that's when she talks and she says, move from the exit, male fay." like power ringing in her voice. And he looks at her and says, I don't speak that language. Like what? Like she's talking to him in a different language. Like who is taking possession of her? And he asks quietly, like to her, like softly, like who am I talking with? 
And if you need Calico Live, then I suggest you step out and return at another time because we're actually under attack. The redness in her, the, the anger, the possession is still kind of there. And he says, attack. Like she says attack and he shakes his head again and says, I don't understand your language, but we don't have time for this. You must leave if you value, if you value Calic's life. And all of a sudden that madness goes away. It just disappears and she comes back to herself and she was like, wait, what was that? And he's like, I really don't know, but I'm pretty sure we've met it before. He reminds her like, okay, we're going to figure it out. But also we're under attack still. The Celia are here and we've run out of time. Like we need to leave Unimog. So they gather up their stuff pretty quickly. And he actually takes her to the throne room, which is where Queen Elisavana the Unseelie Queen, is there, and she's actually dressed head to toe in solid black leather and, like, her fighting outfit. And she is like, yeah, I I wanted you guys to come in here. Like, thanks for bringing her. Like, I wanted to see you off before you go. Like, you need weapons. And so she unbuckles her chest sheath, which is where the two swords are, and she gives them to Allie. And that's when Folin and alley take off and they get to the shore of Unimok and she is just so tired and he's like don't worry like I have transportation for us like I'll take care of it and so she actually falls asleep and she wakes up one of the little spirits that has been sent to her she's right there by the bed that Allie is in this spirit <laughs> like straight up tells her like hey the spirits are pissed the spirit is talking to her in the tinglet language which is the language of Allie's mother and the spirit was like well you're not the first to look for the true underhill and you were born for a reason for a purpose And it was actually the same reason that the spirit was born, um, but the spirit died before she could reopen Underhill. So in essence, her spirit is tormented, still stuck between traveling, stuck traveling back and forth between like the different waves, they call it, until she's fulfilled her destiny. So that's why she is helping Allie is to fulfill this destiny. She realizes that she's on a boat. She sees Drake there. She hadn't seen him since his fight with Yarrow that she kind of took over and he kind of had like a bruised ego about it because he almost died and she was able to beat Yarrow. He's like, I I really thought we were too late to help you. I'm sorry, I was a butt about Yarrow. And then he asked her, like, hey, have you been in contact with Ruby or or Rubizal, remember? That's what they call him. And she's like, no, I haven't. Like, I'll go make contact with him. And he actually has, like, like a liaison. I can't remember the right word. Uh, There as a puffin, because remember, he has appeared as, like, a caribou. But um, he's using a puffin now. He's like, you've made contact with Underhill. And she confirms it. She says, yeah, like on that full moon of the spring equinox is when like that path was opened and she was able to get to that door. But the Unseelie basically caught me and prevented her from reaching that door. And so if Underhill really wants her to open that door, then she needs to go back to that door. And so she'd be able to open it. And then he says, like, hey, at this point, like, I'm you, I'm guessing you know where the vessel or the boat is going. And Allie was like, oh, the sanctuary. But, of course, you would probably prefer to find that door again instead. And she's like, yeah, you're right. Like, I need to get back to where that path was. 
he's like, okay, yeah, we can make a detour. Like we'll send the boat that way, get as close as we can. And while they're having this conversation, there's an alarm or a siren and shouts go up. And so she runs up to the deck. She looks around on the deck and everyone is just shocked in silence. Like they're just looking over the boat. And so she looks as well and there's a huge wave over them. I can see, I can imagine this and it's terrifying. Like this big silent wave that is just hundreds of feet high, dark water, dark shapes, and it just, it's there. And then like a storm thunders. And that's when she notices that the lightning is going across the sky and actually going straight into the wave. And when she starts to really like look at it, it's a, it was as if like the wave pulled away from the lightning as if it had been hurt, which is so strange. But you know, in this type of world, like nothing is super strange. So she thinks to herself like, okay, is the wave avoiding the lightning? And the, her little spirit guide or whatever is back and says, you have something that can stop the wave, little spark. Like you just have to be brave enough, braver than me. And she looks at the spirit and was like, wait, what do you mean? And the spirit tips her head towards Fullen, who Fullen is, is looking at her and is like, this isn't natural. Like this storm is not natural. And that's when Allie knows what the spirit is telling her like what she means is that the magic between them could stop the wave, which I'm not sure how, but she's like, you know what, we got to at least give it a chance. So that's when Allie kind of takes over the situation and she goes to Fullen and just like starts making out with him and they're just consumed with their magics colliding and just a lot of emotion and everything like that. And so they start to feel like the water crash over their heads, like and all of a sudden, they're not on the boat anymore, and they are being pulled down under the ocean. Um, and it definitely should have stolen their breath. Like, they definitely should have, you know, been drowning, pretty much. But the magic that was between them basically held them in a cocoon, and so there was no need to breathe <laughs> or to fear. It says, a voice that was not her own echoed, echoed in her head, a power like no other smashing against the inside of her skull, making her want to claw at her mind to be free of it, Say, telling her, like, you're safe now, come to me. So we're like, wait, is this Underhill? Is this something else? Like, wh who is in her mind? Like, finally, they're able to break apart, and they go to the surface, they make it to the peninsula, which they were, like sailing around she started to think and they start to talk about like maybe underhill tossed them off the boat on purpose maybe it's because they're closer to the door than they really think they are or even closer to where like that cruise ship blew up um because that led her basically to that door like the path she hears something and she's like uh we have company and that's when they barely move out of way, but an arrow whistled by her head, and they are actually being overtaken by some more wild fae that had gone mad. And they realize that there is quite a few people in the trees against them, and so they are like, well, let's run now. And they are able to lose the wild fae. So they're, they take like a little break, but they're starving. And so they decide to take turns sleeping, and Fullen decides to sleep first. And Allie wants to find something to eat. So she basically puts on her magic binoculars, you could say, to see if she can scavenge anything worth. 
eating. And she comes upon this huckleberry bush that she decides like, hey, I'm going to maybe try and put some life into this huckleberry plant and like have it grow more or bigger. And so she starts feeding her energy into the plant until it bursts from like its seed pocket and and then it comes through like the soft ground and it just keeps like growing and growing. And she just put, keeps putting more and more energy into it and magic. And all of a sudden these huckleberries are now these globes, you could call it, that were deep gold and basically the side of, size of both of her fists put together. And so she's like, mm, yeah, these are definitely not huckleberries. But they were just so enticing and just so, looked so delicious that she's like, okay, I'm going to try it. And so she bit into it and literally it, it gave her a shot of energy as if she had like down 10 cups of espressos. And so she was instantly like, oh my gosh, I feel like a whole new person. Like I have to wake up Fallen so that he can have this as well. And so she goes to him, wakes him up, and they both eat this huckleberry, except it's not really a huckleberry. And they are just like, okay, I have so much energy. Like, we need to go. Like, basically, they're hyped up on this caffeine. So they start moving again, and they have this, this sack full of these fruits. And as they're moving through the forest, they come upon, like, more wild face. So then they backtrack and kind of go around them. They run into some more. So they go through this same pattern and they honestly weren't getting anywhere soon. And they're both like, well, how can we distract them? Like, what can we do? And Fulan makes a joke saying like, well, they're not distracted by fruit, right? And they both kind of look at each other like, mm, that's not possible. And so the next time that they come to like some wild fae, they get pretty close to them and she holds up one of these fruits and they're like sniffing it and really interested. She throws the fruit and they take off after it. So they're able to get through these wild fae. They come upon the next group and they do the same thing. And they hear like all this snarling, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden it stops. They're both like, wait, did the madness stop? And this guy comes out of the bush and he was one of the wild fae and he was like, wait, what happened? So the fruit had cured them of the madness. At that point, she is following this little path that the spirit had guided her to. Fulwyn is there and also some of the wild fae are there. And she finds the door that the spirit was leading her to. And she's really nervous about it, thinking like, maybe I'm not worthy to open Underhill. Like what, what's going to happen? So she gets up to the door and notices that it doesn't have a doorknob. So Fulin suggests like using one of the queen's swords to open the door. So that's what she does. She tries to like wedge it. And what do you know? The door explodes. <laughs> so not only did she destroy the illusion of Underhill, she also destroyed one of the doors. And at this point, she's just kind of upset and wants to go find the sanctuary where Ruby is to get answers. And so her and Folin and these wild fae are starting to go like, I don't really, rem I don't remember what direction, but southeast we'll say. And that's when she pretty much runs into Drake. And Drake was like, hey, Ruby told us to dock for a day. Like, we're all fine. We're all on the boat. They made it to dock safely. 
like after Fallen and Allie had fallen off the boat, like we docked, we didn't know that if you'd arrive. Um, but if you didn't in the next day or so, like we would have moved on, but then we heard the explosion. So she talks to Drake a little bit more and that's when he's like, Hey, we need to take you to the sanctuary, but also like, you do know that Fullen is not welcome there. And so she turns to go and talk to Fullen, but he's disappeared. He's done his disappearing act. As they're moving towards the sanctuary, they stop for the night and she has a conversation with one of the Fae that was mad and is no longer mad because of her fruit. And she asks him a little bit more about him and and how he's feeling. And he actually says, you know, like something was trying to get into his head. And she starts to think like, okay, possession, madness. And she's like, hey, like, listen to me. Do you feel violent? Like you want to lash out for no reason? Are you being told to do something you don't really want to do? He's like, no, not the madness, something else. Like something that whispers in words I don't understand. They want to talk to you. And that's when she's like, oh, okay. Like it's either with the spirits or with this possession. I'm not really sure. So she decides to take like a little walk and she sees this gray magic again which remember she saw the gray mist type magic when she saw Bigfoot and Bigfoot was the one that killed Yarrow. So she's like, okay, this creature is old. She started like stalking it at a distance basically. And when she catches its attention, she makes the sign of old one and asks him through sign language, like, what need have you of me? Like, she just felt like that was the most appropriate thing to ask. And the creature then opens its mouth and says, follow me. But he doesn't speak in, like, fey. He speaks in tinglet. So then she knows, like, it's probably a spirit or something associated with this. And so they start to cross this river that had been frozen. And she is, of course, terrified of water. But she wants to keep following him like she's he's an ancient being. He said, follow me. She's like, Ugh, I don't want to do this. Like, I, I don't think this is a good idea. And he's like, follow me if you wish to find Underhill. I mean, at that point, you kind of can't really stop. And as they're going across this lake, the light catches something on like the surface of the frozen water. And she's like, wait, that can't be. And it was a doorway. And she's like, wait, is that to Underhill? And the creature says to her, like, you must open the door before the summer solstice. And then the creature kind of like ripples as if he was waking up. So the spirit took control over him. And now he's waking up to be this really angry, ancient creature starts to like growl at her. So basically she's like running from this creature, breaks the ice. She falls through the ice and is trying to get through And of course, like she's terrified. And that's when the spirit, one of the spirit guides grabs her hand and says like, hey, like calm down. And so she kind of goes limp a little bit and the spirit leads her to like the coast or like the edge so that she's able to get out of the water. So she looks because supposedly there's supposed to be a door there. She saw it and it's gone. She's pretty upset because she's like, wait, did I miss it? Like what's happening? And the spirit says to her, I needed to get you away from the others. Like they distract you from the goal, from your purpose. And that's when Allie realizes like, this was bait. Like I went through this and it was bait to get me away from the others. 
I could have died. I could have drowned. Like, I fought with this freaking Yeti. Uh, like, I'm so mad. Starts to strip her clothes off again because she's soaked and it's freezing. So she starts a fire. She's, like, muttering to herself. That's when Folan appears. The next morning is when another caribou basically comes out of the wild. And that's when she realizes that it's Ruby using the animal. And he is talking to her and says like, hey, I need you at the sanctuary, but it also strikes me that I've placed unrealistic expectations for you because I know that Folin is going to be with you. And it's kind of like hard to say to get rid of him before coming to the sanctuary. So what we're going to do is if he allows Ruby to put a charm on him, that when Folin exits the sanctuary, it will make him forget the location and the events that happened. And that's the only way that Ruby will let Folin into the sanctuary. Elisavana, which is the Unseelie Queen, has talked some sense into the Queen Consort Adair and King Joseph, and they're basically gathering their armies to battle against the strays. Ruby then tells them, like, a certain direction and they start walking that way and they meet up with drake again and he leads them to one of this iceberg type he says this certain phrase she isn't able to understand it and then he kind of like touches the ice a little bit and then all of a sudden it appears to be these huge gates and so the sanctuary had been hidden and that's why they didn't want Fulan to be there. Um, but there are these huge gates and they're being opened by these giants. And once she walks in, she realizes that it's a city. So they make it back to where Ruby is staying in his office. And they're talking more about her magic. And he pours her some tea and says, you know, I've been thinking more. And I, I think that Calic's magic actually devours or dissolves other power that subconsciously deems untruthful or dangerous or even corrupt like the illusion of Underhill like like Ruby says like he believes in times of high emotion like her magic basically erodes others magic like the magic of her foe or even in a sense that she puts so much magic in that it exhausts the other person's power or perhaps it like retreats in like the presence of her power. Like he's trying to come up with all these different theories and solutions and just talking about like what could happen with her magic. Her and Folin are just talking more about like their magic and about if their magics didn't react the way they do and if they were from the same court. So she's kind of like wishing out loud. And she's like, you know, if we were from the same court with this, like you and me. And he kind of cuts her off and he's like in an instant calic, which is like makes your heart flutter because it's like, it could be together in an instant. Like he wants to be there. The next day they are like walking around the sanctuary Ruby leads them to this like stable basically and there are bars up against these like stable pens. Everything went bad overnight like it turned for the worse like now these people have a gray tinge to their skin. Um, the music of his harp doesn't reach them anymore like and she lets him know about like the huckleberry and about how that fruit had healed helped that one fae and so he's like yeah, like I'm willing to try anything. And so he produces like a huckleberry seed. And so she starts to like siphon her magic into it. And the pod splits, the plant like bursts upward. 
but it's actually just a huckleberry. So it's not the same type of fruit. And they realize like maybe it's not the same situation that she was in. Like she was in danger last time. At this point, she was like, you know what? I just, I want to try and put my magic in someone else. Like maybe that will help. So she goes over to a woman and starts to pull like the energy from like the dirt and feed its power through her magic and allowing it to like grow around this female. And all of a sudden, it just latches onto her magic and turns to a, a bright green where it was black like a few seconds ago because she had this madness and darkness. And it takes a lot of energy from Allie. And so she's kind of exhausted right after. And they look over and they're like, wait, her magic changed at the end. Like, did you see that? The bright green. And they look at her and her skin back to normal. Like the gray is seeped away. And Fulan says like, whatever is causing the madness is unseely. So Allie wants to help all of these people that are in these pens. And Ruby suggests like, remember you mentioned feeling that when you touched Fulan that you combined magic that maybe it was amplified somehow. So she's like, yes, like, yes, let's try it. Let's do something like we have to do something. She asks Ruby like, hey, do you have the power to separate us if, if needed? That's when Calic looks over at Folin and was like, hey, um, my answer would be the same in an instant. He looks at her and he, he understands what exactly she's saying from like the conversation the night before that they would choose each other in an instant. And so they like start to hold hands and they kiss because it's just a nice moment. And, um, they open their magic towards each other. Like there's this huge, huge surge of magic. There's a distant boom of explosion and she passes out. As she's waking up, there's this voice in her head that's speaking in Tinglet. And it says, unclaimed daughter of the king, you will open my doorway of honey and ash of feathers and bones. Once more shall you find the pathway home. Come to me. And she looks up and for a second she thinks that it's ash that's falling down. But in actuality, what lands on her is bone. So she gets up and her spirit guide is there and is like, now Calic, like you must go find the Oracle. She's the only one who can help you now. The other paths are closing as we speak. Like you are in grave danger. She, she looks around into these pens, all of the Mad Fae are dead and she's devastated. And she finally is able to find Fulin and, and he's okay. He was just passed out. And that's when Fulin kind of grabs her and is like, we should probably go. Like we need to go. And she looks over at Ruby and he's like, I'm so sorry, Calic of House Royal. And he tells her to go. So they're like running like they take off and they are able to hide in the stable and all of a sudden they hear these <laughs> this really foul language and they look in the stall and there's this land kelpie like a horse that is like tied up and he basically looks over <laughs> and says like f you like he's just a very crude horse He's like, what are you looking at? And she's like, um, sorry, look, like, if I free you, will you carry us to the Oracle? Like, a favor for our favor. And they start, her and Fulin are discussing strategy, basically, waiting for this horse or land kelpie to make a decision. So they they get onto this land kelpie. He agrees to take them to the Oracle. And 
he Folin tells her like, hey, the queen did share with me that the Oracle gathers supplies in this place called Barrow. And that that's probably where we need to go. And so she turns to the Kelpie and was like, hey, we need to go to Barrow. Like, do you know where that is? And he just like sneers at her and is like, I'm not going to go to such a place. Like, and she's like, well, we made a deal. Like, you need to take us to the Oracle. And he's like, yeah, don't repeat words and waste my time when a powerful foe is nearly upon us. Like, I'm taking you to the Oracle right now. And they both kind of pause and they're like, you know where she is? And he just like sighs because he has a lot of attitude. And he's like, of course, the Oracle is in Underhill. So it's like, um, they're going to the Underhill? Like, that's um, kind of great. How did, how are they going to get there? As they're running along, Ali starts to ask this Kelpie more questions like, okay, are you going to bring us to the entrance as part of, part of our deal then? Or like, what, uh, what's happening? He's like, uh, the entrance? Like, and she's like, um, yeah, are we going to go there? He's like, I'm a Kelpie, you two-legged imbecile. <laughs> and at this point, Allie's like, okay, I just don't know why you keep bringing up that you're a Kelpie. Like, how does that fit into you taking us to the entrance of Underhill? And he's like, well, duh, we're the favored fae of the goddess. Like, in ancient days, we used to carry her on great journeys throughout the realms. Like, of course, I have no need of an entrance to access Underhill and reach the Oracle. Only the oldest among our kind are able to make that journey. And she's like, well, how many of you can do that? Because she was thinking about the other Kelpies that she had, like, rode around on. And, and he's like, only the oldest. There's only one. And yeah, that's when Fulan asked him, like, why were you restrained at the sanctuary? And the Kelpie was like, uh, because I can access Underhill. Like, why do you think? And so he is still running and all of a sudden he kind of stops. And that's when Ali looks at the ground and they are starting to like sink. So they found the entrance to the Underhill. The Kelpie basically tells them, like, the Underhill can't be measured. Like, we run until we reach the Oracle or we run until we're killed. She's basically the only one guaranteed safe passage to and from the Haven. So on this way to find the Oracle, which they don't know how long it's going to be, they encounter like a Naga who is like this water creature. And then they find this dragon. Ali is actually able to learn the skill that Folin has as an unseelie where he can like camouflage himself or basically make him invisible. And so he does that as much as he can for them to try and get away from this dragon. And once he's exhausted, Ali kind of learned the pattern of his magic so that she is able to do it as well and is able to get them to safety. And once they get into the trees, like safely away from the, the dragon, the scene actually morphed again. And that's when like a pathway appears. And, and that's when the Kelpie says like, we're here. They are starting to walk through this path. This is when a woman appears and tells them the Oracle waits for you at the end of the path. I suggest you don't make her wait. Folin and Allie like accidentally touch hands and they look at each other and there's actually nothing that happens. That's when the lady that's like leading them to the Oracle turns and says like, oh, a bond such as yours is difficult. Um, I've seen it before. Like you will have a choice soon to give up everything else or give up each other. Like as she smiles, she shows this like pair of tiny fangs. And that's when they realize like she's a blooded fae, which 
a blooded fae is supposedly extinct and they were blood drinkers. They were related to sirens and can bend another's will with this single look. And then somewhere along the line, the, the humans caught on to, and that's how we got the tales of a vampire. So they meet up with the Oracle. They meet her and immediately the Oracle is like, well, aren't you going to ask why I did what I did? And Allie says back to her, like, you mean why you set me up with that blood on the dagger routine? And that's when the Oracle fires back, like, oh, yeah, someone set you up, but it wasn't me. Allie is just very confused. And all of a sudden, the Oracle has a bag of Allie's things. And she's like, hey, I got these from the sanctuary. Go wash up. The Oracle says back, like, I I assure you, like, there's space to discuss for you to heal. Like, I'll tell you when the moment of departure is upon us. And until then, like, this is the calm before the storm. After she's cleaned up, Oracle actually comes in, tells them that interference with their magic isn't going to happen there. So basically, she's telling her to jump his bones as well. And after the Oracle leaves, he basically says like, yeah, I would like to, but you aren't a woman like I'd take on to bed on a whim. Like, I respect you. I want it to mean something, not just like before a big fight. But he's like, what I would like is to sleep next to you and hold you all night. The next morning when Allie wakes up, Actually, Synth is in the kitchen now. The Oracle comes out of the room and was like, I brought her. The Oracle actually saw Synth's death coming. She knew that she needed to stop it or it would have derailed Allie. And the Oracle actually goes on to say, which I'm going to preface all this. This is when we learn a lot of stuff. Like, if you really don't want any more spoilers, like this is the place to stop for now until you read it because... A lot is revealed in this next couple of chapters, and so it's going to blow your mind if you continue to listen. So the Oracle reveals to Allie, like, there's no madness, or at least, like, in the way that you've been led to believe. Like, the madness is a construct. So just like how there was the fake Underhill, um, it was a way to keep the Fae in line. And when the Underhill was cut off from the human world, the Fae's power began to fade, which they had already talked about, might have scared some of them into like a sort of paranoia, but the madness was never a danger. They had guessed that the Underhill withdrew from Earth herself, but they realized that someone else was actually shutting her out. The Oracle agrees and says like, yes, the one who closed Underhill forcibly uh, did it with the aim of controlling the Fey world. The one who can open and close Underhill's doors controls the amount of power that's allowed to reach the Fey. So in essence, he would hold the keys to both courts, giving him like the ultimate power in time. And that's when Allie gets kind of confused because she's like, I've seen the madness at play. Like we, I've seen it eat people away. And I saw a Fey named Ivan go mad. Like he spoke Tinglet to me. And the oracle was like, no, 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 child, like, that is not madness. Someone was speaking to you as you're well aware. And Allie was like, wait, Underhill? And she's like, well, what about the group of giants, the the wild fae? Like, what about the mad fae we saw locked up at the outcast sanctuary? The oracle replies back to her and says, like, don't you recall, like, Underhill is merely one player on this board. Allie realizes, like, okay, you're saying that the person possessing me when I touch Folin is the one you speak of, like, the guy who cut us off from the Fey realm. The Oracle says, like, no, 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 no. 
Like, I think you'll find that the one possessing you is none other than Underhill. Allie goes, comes back again and was like, wait, I thought she wanted me to find the dang door. Like, why would she try to kill me like that and make me kill others? And the Oracle replies, like, she did want you to find the door, any door, anything, anywhere. Killing you was and is not on her agenda. And the life you took, Underhill's power doesn't really work on small scales. Like, imagine you were channeling, like, a flicker of annoyance or rage from her. Like, she likely didn't intend Allie to become murderous. And so then Fullen steps in and he asks, like, okay, well, then why is Allie and I able to touch on occasion? Like, why would the door not open for Calic the second time? Like, and that's when the blood fae, her name was Devon, she actually steps in and she's like, yes, because of the company and the magic present of when you're trying to open this door. And Allie says, okay, Fallen and I could touch sometimes because of the company and magic present too, but the Wild Fae weren't all around, weren't around all the time. And the Oracle just kind of looks at Allie and says, the one who forced Underhill's retreat was, she could not act through you and his company. The danger was too great. They confirmed that Ali was basically a vessel of Underhill. That the gigantic wave when Ali and Fullen were thrown from the vessel, they questioned like who controlled that wave? And the Oracle says the one, like he sought to throw you from your path to make you more vulnerable. And the lightning strikes was actually Underhill. That's when she sent a spirit to guide you also. Fullen is still kind of confused, which at this point, we kind of all were confused. So Fullen is like, okay, so you said Underhill wouldn't act in this company. I can touch Calic here. What reason is there for that? Devon kind of, she chuckles because she's like, um, like why does Underhill need to communicate with you when you're already here. And that's when the Oracle shares a story, which this is going to blow your mind. Like this is where, and I don't know if you're already starting to get suspicious about things, but this is where it just clicks. So I'm excited to read it to you. Okay. To understand, like you have to hear the whole story. Uh, 50 years ago, there was a fae who lived on Unimok, favored by the unseelie queen for his quick wit, attention to detail, magical strength, and the power of his music. He was her friend and confidant. Understand that she was new to the throne then and still learning, but she trusted him fully, except when he asked for her hand in marriage, she denied him. She would take no man, none, for her throne was hers alone. He stayed for a time, claiming continued friendship was enough. They were very close, but slowly others around Elisavana saw changes. She'd never been unjust or unreasonable in the past, but she would bend her morals for him. Her suitor had begun to drug her with herbals. That's when Ali kind of flashes back to a memory of Ruby saying like, oh, this is nothing more than hot tea infused with herbs and honey. I have a penchant for herbals. I'd like your thoughts on the combination. And that's when the Oracle looks at Allie and is like, so I can see you know of whom I speak, but let me finish with the story. The young Fae was asked to leave the unseelie side of Unimok, but because of his strength, power, and wit, he was offered a place in the Seelie court. Unusual, but not unheard of, he gained the ear of the king, your father, Calic, for he too was young and new to the throne. The same scenario occurred, and after he tried to control the king, the fae was finally cast from Unimok. Only he cursed the island before he left. 
Madness would reign, he pledged, if he was not made ruler one day. He spoke the words at the winter solstice and declared them prophetic. And she says, she confirms, like, he was and still is unseely Calic. Like, what happens when an unseely draws on magic? The price is death. And then she asks, and what if they choose to draw their strength from another fae? He wields his power to create madness amongst the outcasts, and he drains those same fae of life to fuel his cruel power. Can you guess who I'm talking about? Think about it. When they were back at the sanctuary, the fae had gray skin. And who was doing that? It was Ruby. Ruby is the worst. (laughs) Ruby betrayed them, and he is this one that is trying to control the fae, and he was taking his power from the fae, and that made them mad, like the madness because he was siphoning that power. The less power someone has or the less magic, the more they go mad and he was siphoning it and that's why their skin was gray. But it was a shocker. Like I didn't suspect it at all. Like as she was telling the story, I was like, is this Ruby? Like it can't be him. Like he seems like a gentle giant, but no, it was him. And this is where it starts to get even better. Like this book is insane. Like you will be addicted to this this book. Like it's a fast read because you're so involved and absorbed into it. Like me, I didn't believe it at first. Like it couldn't be Ruby. Allie doesn't believe it as well. And that's when she turns to Synth and was like, I owe him a chance. Like he deserves another chance. Like I need to learn his side. And that's when Synth was like, okay, well, just thinking about that tea Ruby used on the queen, like Fulan said, you drank Ruby's tea recently. You don't think, and Ali was like, well, I would have felt it. Like, wouldn't I? I'm not stupid. I know the taste of the individual ingredients. Plus, didn't you drink it? Like, you're a cook. Your palate is much more like discerning than mine. And that's when Synth was like, like, he never offered me any tea. And now I have to wonder, like, if you're right, if he decided to give me this tea, like, would it have been too risky, like, with all the years I've spent in the kitchen, like, memorizing every fey and human spice and herb? Like, he probably didn't even want to take the chance. And Allie turns and looks at the oracle, and she's like, okay, well, everything that's happened, like, to Underhill, everything that keeps happening to me with the spirits, the explosions, chaos, when I touch Folin, like... It has to do with my magic, doesn't it? And the oracle looks at her and confirms it. Like, it has to do with your magic, your seely magic, and of course, your unseely magic. Okay. Like, if that's not a big reveal. So, Ruby is the traitor. We now find out that Allie has unseely and seely magic in her. What? She's both. So then you start thinking about, like, like who's her mom? Like, we don't know who her mom is. Like, her mom has to be unseely, right? Obviously, it's she's not half human, half a. Like, what is she? So the oracle actually opens this book, and it's made of the skin of blooded fae, which basically means that it cannot lie, which is kind of gross. But um, in it, it says like she tells her like, yes, you are seely and unseely, but you're right in part that you were born of like a human loin, and you carry some of her essence, like what the humans call DNA. Um, but in this book, it says Calic of Royal House, Father, Alexander of House Royal, Seely, Mother, Unknown, Unseely. And she asks her, like, okay, do you know this another, there's like more stories to tell her. But she says, like, okay, do you know the story of like Avana, Dahlia, and Bale? And she's like, 
well, yeah, everyone's kind of told that story. So she's like, okay, tell it back to me. Um, Ivana was an unseelie royal, and she couldn't carry a child to term. Her cousin Dahlia had several children already. So Ivana procured a spell that allowed for her chosen mate, Bale, to bed Dahlia, but it would be Ivana's child still. So basically an old school, like, in vitro fertilization, um, but using, like, magic instead of science. And that's when she thinks of that memory of when she saw her father and mother, when he mentions, like, that of the woman who carried you for nine months. You were that spark, Calic. Your father knew it, and so did your mother. Allie looks at her and she says, so you're saying I was only carried by a human mother, that she wasn't my mother at all. We know for sure her mother was unsealy. Her father was Seely. Only was carried by a human. So then Allie gets pretty upset and she... I don't know why people do this. They they do this in the movies. They do this in books. When people are upset, they just like run out of the place that they are. Like she's in the Oracle's house and she's upset about this. So she runs out into this wilderness, the Underhill, who is so freaking unpredictable, obviously gonna backfire. So it does. Like she starts to get attacked by these like wildebeest type things and Folin comes and helps her and the the foliage and the scenery change and they find this little cabin and they're able to like bunker down in this cabin. Which, okay, it turned around to being a good thing because they're alone together and it's so cute. And so he asks her, like, okay, you want to tell me, like, why you left? She's like, well, you know, like, I was basically just told that I'm Seely and Unseely. They kind of, like, leave this little cabin thing and there's this this field of flowers and they're an indigo flower and so they pick one of it like the flower has this red tendril and then it has this blue tendril and they're kind of like mixing he looks at her and he's like no 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 no, not indigo red and blue magic calic your magic is purple he's like well that's why no one picked it up indigo is a sealy color yours was always dark for indigo but no one ever questioned it the Oracle has realized like, hey, Fulman brings out the unseelie magic in you. So we need his help to amplify or open your magic so that we can train you and that you can be ready to take on Ruby. A couple days later, um, they're training some more and Allie is getting a hang of it. Like she has, she can move faster. Like she has realized that she is just the conduit to this combined magic. All of a sudden the Oracle just stops and she's like, it's time. And Allie was like, wait, time to go? Like, what? what's happening? And the Oracle says, like, there's not long. Like, war has broken upon Unimok, and many good fae shall perish if you do not arrive in time. That night was the summer solstice, so that means that the fabric between the two realms is at its thinnest, so that is the, the perfect time for Allie to be able to make it out of Underhill into... Unimok. So they make it through in this process, like through the realms. And there's actually like this stage that had been set up across the river. Queen Elsavana actually stood across from Adair, like the consort and the uncle. Allie, once she gets into the fray, like there's fighting and everything like that. She doesn't know who's fighting who, like because some of the the strays had camouflaged themselves to be unseely and seely like fighting so it seemed like they were fighting each other's side like anyway she was very confused and so she was using like her energy and the oracle gets mad at her it was like no use your freaking weapon like don't exhaust yourself and all of a sudden she hears her name drake is pushing through the crowd 
and he's like, hey, I came here to help you escape. Like, like what's happening? She's like, no, no, no. Like, Ruby is the one that's doing all this. Like, he, like, he's a bad person. And Drake was like, no. Like, he was right. Ruby said you'd turn on us, but I told him he was wrong. I came here to help you escape, but it looks like you're just like them. And that's when he does lower his weapon. He's like, I can't. Ruby appears behind Drake. And he says, I was afraid of that young Drake. And he stabs Drake, stabs him right through the back, through the heart, stabs him. Drake dead. He gone. Like, Ruby kills him. It's so frustrating. Like, even though we know that Drake and Allie weren't going to be together, it's still frustrating because he was a good guy. And that's when Ruby does this whole illusion thing and takes her to his office. Like, it's just an illusion. They're still in battle but it's as if they're in his office. And he calls her out on saying like, couldn't be contained by a single crown. You're destined to wear both and I'm gonna help you. That's when Allie gets mad and she's like, no, no, no. Queen Savannah didn't want you in her court. Neither did my father. So why would I want you? And that's when he unfastens his harp and he plays a couple strums and she basically goes paralyzed. But she is able to like sink her magic into everything. And that's when it like dispels his illusion and it shatters it. And Ruby has actually like raised a dagger to her. Like he is going to stab her. So he's like about to, and then all of a sudden, Allie is dragged out of the way and Queen Elsevana is right there. And she stands up to him and says, you will not kill her while I stand, Rubazal. She is under my protection. So Allie is there in Fulwin's arms as they watch the Unseelie Queen like battle with the giant who had been like her closest confidant. And Ruby was like, don't do this, Ellie. Like, don't force my hand. I care for you still. And she's like, then go. Like, leave. You're you're cast out. He is. He just kind of look, looks defeated. But then he plucks a note on his harp. And the queen is frozen in place. And the giant puts his dagger through her abdomen. The queen, like, is able to look at Ali. And they make eye contact. The look that the queen gave Ali was as if they had spoken. And, like, words had crossed Ali's mind. As if seeing them for the first time. Like, in she, like, flashes back to that blood phase book where it says like her lineage she thinks about where it says mother unknown unseely magic flared around her so the queen has realized what ali has realized and that's when the queen like just gains all this magic like she takes all the energy from the plants around her the air her magic was like nearly black like with all this red running through it so she's what ali is watching and she sees this magic and it's basically identical to the crimson of her unseelie half of the magic. And that's when Queen Elsavana looks back to Ruby and she says, you know what? Perhaps it was always going to work this way for us, old friend. Ruby lets out this roar because something opens up behind him and it was a way to Underhill. A portal had opened up. He toppled backwards and Ruby took like Queen Elsavana with him. But they instantly knew that she had already died and he was stuck in the underhill. And so Allie is just sitting there and she realized Queen Elsavana is her mother. I know. I know. Allie was the child of the Seely King and the, the Unseely Queen. Like, what? And the our Oracle is like, there's no need to worry. Like, they've been freed from his hold. Like, with enough time, those who are here will regain control of their true thoughts. Like, weeks for those recently brought into the fold, months or years for those who 
have been with Rubizol for a long time. Like they need to be held and housed until Rubizol's tea is out of their system. The Oracle grabs Allie and drags her up on this stage. And she uses this voice, of course, magic to like yell and say like, hey, I don't want like stop but this battle. Like you've been hoodwinked. She uses that word hoodwinked. And that's when, that's when a dare, that freaking B word, she takes advantage of the silence and points to Allie and is like, seize her. And the Oracle actually like snaps at her and it was like, silence. And the Oracle was like, uh, it wasn't I who defeated the villain. Like, your gratitude is much better to directed towards Calicavora House, who not only defeated seven giants, but was able to greatly weaken our enemy so Queen Elsavana could finish the job. Like, on the summer solstice, you will bear witness to the uprooting of a buried truth, a righting of a wrong done by past leaders. On this night, one fay will be sorted at last. What should have been done a long time ago when you were 16? If you do not allow this, like, all's gonna perish. Like, no big deal. The Oracle makes Callie get to, like, her knees and everything for the sorting. She actually goes behind her and exposes her back. And Allie's very confused, like, uh, what's happening? And it's actually the uncle, like, Joseph, who says, like, royal sortings are differ from the norm. The Oracle gets Allie's blood and she does this like incantation and she rubs this blood on Allie's back, which is kind of strange. And then she steps back and she's like, behold, the sorting tattoo of Calic of of House Royal. See the white roses that marks her as the daughter of King Alexander, rightful heir to the Seely throne. Behold and witness the crescent moon that marks her as the daughter of Queen Elsavana and the rightful heir to the Unseely throne. She says, Stand now, Calic of House Royal, as Queen Calic of the Unseely and Seely, ruler of all Fae. Stand now and claim your rightful place as a leader. Rubizal lives yet. Um, he's locked in Underhill. The problem is not that he's locked. The problem is that Underhill must open or Fae magic here will die. And what do you think happens when Underhill is eventually opened though? Rubizal would get out. Ali is like, okay, like this just happened. And so she took a breath and she turned to face her people. And that is book two. And we have to wait till book three now, which is in January. I don't even know what else is going to happen. I mean, kind of, I guess. Like, she needs to find Ruby. And I hope finally her and freaking Folan can be together. And she's the queen. I didn't even think that her mom could be the unseelie queen. I had no idea. And maybe some other people, like, can foresee these types of things. But I go into these books completely blind. Like, I assume nothing. I kind of skipped, like, quite a few things. I got as much as I could, but I really recommend you read this book because there's just so many details about the world, so many details about the relationships, just so many details that I am not able to fully, like, portray through a podcast. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, I want to talk about this book. Like, my mind is blown from everything that we've learned. Follow me on Instagram. Find me in a book podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll talk to you next week on the next episode. Thanks.